Section 23 of The Great Events by Famous Historians, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. The Great Events by Famous Historians, Volume 4. By Rossiter Johnson, Charles F. Horn, and John Rudd. Section 23. Hegira by Simon Ockley, Part Four. The Koran. The Koran is held by the Mahometans in the greatest veneration. The book must not be touched by anybody but a Mussulman, nor even by a believer, except he be free from pollution. Whether the Koran be created or uncreated has been the subject of a controversy fruitful of the most violent persecutions. The orthodox opinion is that the original has been written from all eternity on the preserved table. Of this they believe a complete transcript was brought down to the lower heaven, that of the moon, by the angel Gabriel, and thence taken and shown to Mahomet once every year of his mission, and twice in the last year of his life. They assert, however, that it was only piecemeal, that the several parts were revealed by the angel to the prophet, and that he immediately dictated what had been revealed to his secretary, who wrote it down. Each part, as soon as it was thus copied out, was communicated to his disciples to get by heart, and was afterward deposited in what he called the chest of his apostleship. This chest the prophet left in the custody of his wife, Hafsa. When we consider the way in which the Koran was compiled, we cannot wonder that it is so incoherent a piece as we find it. The book is divided into chapters. Of these, some are very long, others again, especially a few toward the end, very short. Each chapter has a title prefixed, taken from the first word, or from some one particular thing mentioned in it, rarely from the subject matter of it. For if a chapter be of any length, it usually runs into various subjects that have no connection with each other. A celebrated commentator divides the contents of the Quran into three general heads. Number one precepts or directions relating either to religion as prayers fasting pilgrimages or to civil polity as marriages inheritances judicatures number two histories whereof some are taken from the scriptures but falsified with fabulous additions others are wholly false having no foundation in fact number three admonitions under which head are comprised exhortations to receive Islamism, to fight for it, to practice its precepts, prayers, alms, etc., the moral duties such as justice, temperance, etc., promises of everlasting felicity to the obedient, dissuasives from sin, threatenings of the punishments of hell to the unbelieving and disobedient. Many of the threatenings are leveled against particular persons, and those sometimes of Mahomet's own family, who had opposed him in propagating his religion. In the Koran, God is brought in, saying, We have given you a book. By this it appears that the impostor published early in writing some of his principal doctrines, as also some of his historical relations. 
Thus, in his life of himself, we find his disciples reading the twentieth chapter of the Koran, before his flight from Mecca, after which he pretended many of the revelations in other chapters were brought to him. Undoubtedly, all those said to be revealed at Medina must be posterior to what he had then published at Mecca, because he had not yet been at Medina. Many parts of the Koran, he declared, were brought to him by the angel Gabriel on special occasions, of which we have already met with several instances in his biography. Accordingly, the commentators on the Koran often explain passages in it by relating the occasion on which they were first revealed. Without such a key, many of them would be perfectly unintelligible. There are several contradictions in the Koran. To reconcile these, the Muslim doctors have invented the doctrine of abrogation, i.e., that what was revealed at one time was revoked by a new revelation. A great deal of it is so absurd, trifling, and full of tautology that it requires no little patience to read much of it at a time. Notwithstanding, the Koran is cried up by the Muslims as inimitable, and in the seventeenth chapter of the Koran, Mahomet is commanded to say, Verily, if men and genii were purposely assembled that they might produce anything like the Koran, they could not produce anything like unto it, though they assisted one another. Accordingly, when the impostor was called upon, as he often was, to work miracles in proof of his divine mission, he excused himself by various pretenses, and appealed to the Koran as a standing miracle. Each chapter of the Koran is divided into verses, that is, lines of different length, terminated with the same letter, so as to make a different rhyme, but without any regard to the measure of the syllables. The Mahometan religion consists of two parts, faith and practice. Faith they divide into six articles. One, a belief in the unity of God, in opposition to those whom they call associators, by which name they mean not only those who, besides the true God, worship idols or inferior gods or goddesses, but the Christians also, who hold our blessed Saviour's divinity and the doctrine of the Trinity. Number two, a belief of angels, to whom they attribute various shapes, names, and offices, borrowed from the Jews and Persians. Number three, the Scriptures. Number four, the Prophets. On this head, the Quran teaches that God revealed His will to various prophets in diverse ages of the world, and gave it in writing to Adam, Seth, Enoch, Abraham, etc., but these books are lost, that afterward he gave the Pentateuch to Moses, the Psalms to David, the Gospel to Jesus, and the Koran to Mahomet. The Koran speaks with great reverence of Moses and Jesus, but says the scriptures left by them have been greatly mutilated and corrupted. Under this pretense it adds a great many fabulous relations to the history contained in those sacred books and charges the Jews and Christians with suppressing many prophecies concerning Mahomet, a calumny easily refuted, the scriptures having been translated into various languages long before Mahomet was born. Number 5. The fifth article of belief is the resurrection and day of judgment, 
while about the intermediate state Mahometan divines have various opinions. The happiness promised to the Mussulmans in paradise is wholly sensual, consisting of fine gardens, rich furniture sparkling with gems and gold, delicious fruits and wines that neither cloy nor intoxicate, but above all affording the fruition of all the delights of love in the society of women, having large black eyes and every trait of exquisite beauty, who shall ever continue young and perfect. Some of their writers speak of these females of paradise in very lofty strains, telling us, for instance, that if one of them were to look down from heaven in the night, she would illuminate the earth as the sun does, and if she did but spit into the ocean, it would be immediately turned as sweet as honey. These delights of paradise were certainly at first understood literally, However, Mahometan divines may have since allegorized them into a spiritual sense. As to the punishments threatened to the wicked, they are hell-fire, breathing hot winds, the drinking of boiling and stinking water, eating briars and thorns, and the bitter fruit of the trees they come, which in their bellies will feel like boiling pitch. These punishments are to be everlasting to all except those who embrace Islamism for the latter, after suffering a number of years, in proportion to their demerits, will then, if they have had but so much faith as is equal to the weight of an ant, be released by the mercy of God, and upon the intercession of Mahomet, admitted into paradise. The sixth article of belief is that God decrees everything that is to happen, not only all events, but the actions and thoughts of men, their belief or infidelity that everything that has or will come to pass has been from eternity written in the preserved or secret table which is a white stone of an immense size preserved in heaven near the throne of god agreeable to this notion one of their poets thus expresses himself whatever is written against thee will come to pass what is written for thee shall not fail Resign thyself to God, and know thy Lord to be powerful. His decrees will certainly take place. His servants ought to be silent. Of their four fundamental points of practice, the first is prayer. Their duty is to be performed five times in the twenty-four hours. Number one, in the morning before sunrise. Number two, when noon is past. Number three, a little before sunset. Number four, a little after sunset. Number five, before the first watch of the night. Previous to prayer, they are to purify themselves by washing. Some kinds of pollution require the whole body to be immersed in water. But commonly it is enough to wash some parts only, the head, the face and neck, hands and feet. In the latter ablution, called wadhu, fine sand or dust may be used when water cannot be had. In such case, the palm of the hand, being first laid upon the sand, is then to be drawn over the part required to be washed. The Mahometans, out of respect to the divine majesty before whom they are to appear, are required to be clean and decent when they go to public prayers in their mosques, but are yet forbidden to appear there in sumptuous apparel, particularly clothes trimmed with gold or silver, lest they should make them vain and arrogant. 
The women are not allowed to be in their mosques at the same time with the men. This, they think, would make their thoughts wander from their proper business there. On this account they reproach the Christians with the impropriety of the contrary usage. The next point of practice is almsgiving, which is frequently enjoined in the Koran, and looked upon as highly meritorious. Many of them have been very exemplary in the performance of this duty. The third point of practical religion is fasting the whole month Ramadan, during which they are every day to abstain from eating or drinking or touching a woman, from daybreak to sunset. After that they are at liberty to enjoy themselves as at other times. From this fast an exception is made in favor of old persons and children. Those also that are sick or on a journey, and women pregnant or nursing, are also excused in this month. But then the person making use of this dispensation must expiate the omission by fasting an equal number of days in some other month, and by giving alms to the poor. There are also some other days of fasting, which are, by the more religious, observed in the manner above described. The last practical duty is going the pilgrimage to Mecca, which every man who is able is obliged to perform once in his life. In the ceremonies of it they strictly copy those observed by Mahomet. A pilgrimage can be made only in the month Dulhaga, but a visitation to Mecca may be made at any other time of the year. The Mahometan Creed as an illustration of the Mahometan creed and practice, I have thought it advisable to insert their famous Dr. Al-Ghazali's interpretation of the two articles of their faith, viz. There is no God but God. Mahomet is the Apostle of God. Praise be to God the Creator and Restorer of all things, who does whatsoever he pleases, who is Master of the glorious throne and mighty force, and directs his sincere servants into the right way and the straight path, who favoreth them who have once borne testimony to the unity, by preserving their confessions from the darkness of doubt and hesitation, who directs them to follow his chosen apostle, upon whom be the blessing and peace of God, and to go after his most honorable companions, to whom he hath vouchsafed his assistance and direction, which is revealed to them in his essence and operations by the excellence of his attributes, to the knowledge whereof no man attains, but he that hath been taught by hearing. To these, as touching his essence, he maketh known that he is one, and hath no partner, singular, without anything like him, uniform, having no contrary, separate, having no equal. He is ancient, having no first, eternal, having no beginning, remaining for ever, having no end, continuing to eternity, without any termination." He persists without ceasing to be, remains without failing, and never did cease, nor ever shall cease, to be described by glorious attributes, nor is subject to any decree, so as to be determined by any precise limits or set times, but is the first and the last, and is within and without. What God is not. He, glorified be his name, is not a body endued with form, nor a substance circumscribed with limits or determined by measure. 
neither does he resemble bodies, as they are capable of being measured or divided. Neither is he a substance, neither do substances exist in him. Neither is he an accident, nor do accidents exist in him. Neither is he like to anything that exists, neither is anything like to him. Nor is he determinate in quantity, nor comprehended by bounds nor circumscribed by the differences of situation, nor contained in the heavens. He sits upon the throne, after that manner which he himself hath described. And in that same sense which he himself means, which is a sitting far removed from any notion of contact, or resting upon, or local situation, but both the throne itself and whatsoever is upon it are sustained by the goodness of his power and are subject to the grasp of his hand but he is above the throne and above all things even to the utmost ends of the earth but so above at the same time not to be a whit nearer the throne and the heaven since he is exalted by infinite degrees above the throne no less than he is exalted above the earth and at the same time is near to everything that hath a being nay nearer to men than their jugular veins and is witness to everything though his nearness is not like the nearness of bodies as neither is his essence like the essence of bodies neither doth he exist in anything neither doth anything exist in him but he is too high to be contained in any place, and too holy to be determined by time. For he was before time and place were created, and is now after the same manner as he always was. He is also distinct from the creatures by his attributes, neither is there anything besides himself in his essence, nor is his essence in any other besides him. He is too holy to be subject to change or any local motion, neither do any accidents dwell in him, nor any contingencies befall him, but he abides through all generations with his glorious attributes, free from all danger of dissolution. As to the attribute of perfection, he wants no addition of his perfection. As to being, he is known to exist by the apprehension of the understanding, and he is seen as he is by an ocular intuition, which will be vouchsafed out of his mercy and grace to the holy in the eternal mansion, completing their joy by the vision of his glorious presence. His power. He, praised be his name, is living, powerful, mighty, omnipotent, not liable to any defect or impotence, neither slumbering nor sleeping, nor being obnoxious to decay or death. To him belong the kingdom, and the power, and the might. His is the dominion, and the excellency, and the creation, and the command thereof. The heavens are folded up in his right hand, and all creatures are crouched within his grasp. His excellency consists in his creating and producing, and his unity in communicating existence and a beginning of being. He created men and their works, and measured out their maintenance and their determined times. Nothing that is possible can escape his grasp, nor can the vicissitudes of things elude his power. The effects of his might are innumerable, and the objects of his knowledge infinite. His knowledge. 
he praised be his name knows all things that can be understood and comprehends whatsoever comes to pass from the extremities of the earth to the highest heavens even the weight of a pismire could not escape him either in earth or heaven but he would perceive the creeping of the black pismire in the dark night upon the hard stone and discern the motion of an atom in the open air he knows what is secret and conceals it and views the conceptions of the minds and the motions of the thoughts and the inmost recesses of secrets by a knowledge ancient and eternal that never ceased to be his attribute from eternal eternity and not by any new knowledge superadded to his essence either in hearing or adventitious his will he praised be his name doth will those things to be that are and disposes of all accidents nothing passes in the empire nor the kingdom neither little nor much nor small nor great nor good nor evil nor profitable nor hurtful nor faith nor infidelity nor knowledge nor ignorance nor prosperity nor adversity nor increase nor decrease nor obedience nor rebellion but by his determinate counsel and decree and his definite sense and will nor doth the wink of him that seeth nor the subtlety of him that thinketh exceed the bounds of his will but it is he who gave all things their beginning he is the creator and restorer the sole operator of what he pleases there is no reversing his decree nor delaying what he hath determined nor is there any refuge to man from his rebellion against him but only his help and mercy nor hath any man any power to perform any duty toward him but through his love and will though men and genii angels and devils should conspire together either to put one single atom in motion or cause it to cease its motion without his will and approbation they would not be able to do it his will subsists in his essence among the rest of his attributes and was from eternity one of his eternal attributes by which he willed from eternity the existence of those things that he had decreed which were produced in their proper seasons according to his eternal will without any before or after and in agreement both with his knowledge and will and not by methodizing of thoughts nor waiting for a proper time for which reason no one thing is in him a hindrance from another his hearing and sight and he praised be his name is hearing and seeing and heareth and seeth no audible object how still soever escapeth his hearing nor is anything visible so small as to escape his sight for distance is no hindrance to his hearing nor darkness to his sight he sees without pupil or eyelids and hears without any passage of ear even as he knoweth without a heart and performs his actions without the assistance of any corporeal limb and creates without any instrument for his attributes or properties are not like those of men any more than his essence is like theirs his word furthermore he doth speak command forbid promise and threaten by an eternal ancient word subsisting in his essence neither is it like to the word of the creatures nor doth it consist in a voice arising from the commotion of the air and the collision of bodies nor letters which are separated by the joining together of the lips or the motion of the tongue the koran 
the law the gospel and the psalter are books sent down by him to his apostles and the koran indeed is read with tongues written in books and kept in hearts yet as subsisting in the essence of god it doth not become liable to separation and division while it is transferred into the hearts and the papers thus moses also heard the word of god without voice or letter even as the saints behold the essence of god without substance or accident and that since these are his attributes he liveth and knoweth is powerful and willeth and operateth and seeth and speaketh by life and knowledge and will and hearing and sight and word not by his simple essence his works he praised be his name exists after such a manner that nothing besides him hath any being but what is produced by his operation and floweth from his justice after the best most excellent most perfect and most just model he is moreover wise in his works and just in his decrees but his justice is not to be compared with the justice of men for a man may be supposed to act unjustly by invading the possession of another but no injustice can be conceived of god inasmuch as there is nothing that belongs to any other besides himself so that wrong is not imputable to him as meddling with things not appertaining to him all things himself only excepted genii men the devil angels heaven earth animals plants substance accident intelligible sensible were all created originally by him he created them by his power out of mere privation and brought them into light when as yet they were nothing at all but he alone existing from eternity neither was there any other with him now he created all things in the beginning for the manifestation of his power and his will and the confirmation of his word which was true from all eternity not that he stood in need of them nor wanted them but he manifestly declared his glory in creating and producing and commanding without being under any obligation nor out of necessity loving-kindness and to show favour and grace and beneficence belong to him whereas it is in his power to pour forth upon men a variety of torments and afflict them with various kinds of sorrows and diseases which if he were to do his justice could not be arraigned nor would he be chargeable with injustice yet he rewards those that worship him for their obedience on account of his promise and beneficence not of their merit nor of necessity since there is nothing which he can be tied to perform nor can any injustice be supposed in him nor can he be under any obligation to any person whatsoever that his creatures however should be bound to serve him ariseth from his having declared by the tongues of the prophets that it was due to him from them the worship of him is not simply the dictate of the understanding but he sent messengers to carry to men his commands and promises and threats whose veracity he proved by manifest miracles whereby men are obliged to give credit to them in those things that they relate the significance of the second article that is the testimony concerning the apostle he the most high sent mahomet the illiterate prophet of the family of the koresh to deliver his message to all the arabians and barbarians and genii and men 
and abrogated by his religion all other religions, except in those things which he confirmed, and gave him the pre-eminence over all the rest of the prophets, and made him lord over all mortal men. Neither is the faith, according to his will, complete by the testimony of the unity alone, that is, by simply saying, there is but one God, without the addition of the testimony of the Apostle, i.e., without the further testimony. Mahomet is the Apostle of God, and he hath made it necessary to men to give credit to Mahomet in those things which he hath related, both with regard to this present world and the life to come. For a man's faith is not accepted till he is fully persuaded of those things which the prophet hath affirmed shall be after death. The first of these is the examination of Munkir and Nakir. These are two angels of a most terrible and fearful aspect, who shall place every man upright in his grave, consisting again both of soul and body, and ask him concerning the unity and the mission of the apostles, saying, Who is thy Lord, and what is thy religion, and who is thy prophet? For these are the searches of the grave, and their examination the first trial after death, Every one must also believe the torment of the sepulchre, and that it is due, and right, and just, both upon the body and the soul, being accorded to the will of God. He shall also believe in the balance with two scales and a beam, that shall equal the extent of the heavens and the earth, wherein the works of men shall be weighed by the power of God, at which time weights not heavier than atoms or mustard seeds shall be brought out that things may be balanced with the utmost exactness and perfect justice administered then the books of the good works beautiful to behold shall be cast into the balance of light by which the balance shall be depressed according to their degrees out of the favour of god but the books of evil deeds nasty to look upon shall be cast into the balance of darkness with which the scale shall lightly ascend by the justice of the most high god he must also believe that there is a real way, extended over the middle of hell, which is sharper than a sword and finer than a hair, over which all must pass. In this passage of it, while the feet of the infidels by the decree of God shall slip, so as they shall fall into hell fire, the feet of the faithful shall never stumble, but they shall arrive safely into the eternal habitation. He shall also believe the pond where they go down to be watered, that is, the pond of Mahomet, upon whom be the blessing and peace of God, out of which the faithful, after they have passed the way, drink before they enter into paradise, and out of which whosoever once drinketh shall thirst no more forever. Its breadth is a month's journey, it is whiter than milk and sweeter than honey. Round about it stand cups, as innumerable as the stars, and it hath two canals, by which the waters of the river Cawthar flow into it. He shall also believe the last account, in which men shall be divided into those that shall be reckoned withal, with the utmost strictness, and those that shall be dealt withal more favorably, and those that shall be admitted into paradise without any manner of examination at all namely, those whom God shall cause to approach near to himself. Moreover, he shall believe that God will ask any of his apostles, whomsoever he shall please, concerning their mission of the infidels, and whomsoever he shall please, 
What was the reason why, by their unbelief, they accused those that were sent to them of lying? He will also examine the heretics concerning tradition, and the faithful concerning their good works. He shall also believe that all who confess one God shall, upon the intercession of the prophets, next of the doctors, then of the martyrs, and finally of the rest of the faithful, that is, every one according to his excellency and degree, at length go out of the fire after they have undergone the punishment due to their sins. And if besides these remain any of the faithful, having no intercessor, they shall go out by the grace of God. Neither shall any one of the faithful remain forever in hell, but shall go out from thence, though he had but so much faith in his heart as the weight of an atom. And thus, by the favorable mercy of God, no person shall remain in hell who in life acknowledge the unity of the Godhead. It is also necessary that every true believer acknowledge the excellency of the companions of Mahomet and their degrees, and that the most excellent of men next to Mahomet is Abu Bakr, then Omar, then Othman, and then Ali. Moreover, he must entertain a good opinion of all the companions, and celebrate their memories, according as God and his apostles hath celebrated them and all these things are received by tradition, and evinced by evident tokens. And he that confesseth all these things, and surely believeth them, is to be reckoned among the number of those that embrace truth, and of the congregation of those that walk in the received way, separated from the congregation of those that err, and the company of heretics." These are the things that every one is obliged to believe and confess that would be accounted worthy of the name of a Mussulman, and that, according to the literal meaning of the words, not as they may be made capable of any sounder sense, for, says the author of this exposition, some pretending to go deeper have put an interpretation upon those things that are delivered concerning the world to come, such as the balance and the way, and some other things besides, but it is heresy. End of section twenty three.